Hello there, I'm coach Will Love and you're listening to the Idaho Basketball Coaching Podcast. We're fortunate to have Darren Hansen on today's podcast. Hansen is the owner of Hansen Athletics, an online strength and conditioning company that focuses on performance-based approach to developing athletes. Hansen works with athletes worldwide, but he just recently opened a physical lo- location in his hometown of Pocatello. Coach Hansen, thanks for talking some basketball with us today. How is everything in Pocatello? Uh, great. We just moved into a new facility, so we've been open about four years with the physical location. Um, this last two, uh, last month, we moved into a 10,000 square foot spot. Um, so we're here in Pocatello. Um, we got 5,500 square feet of turf, so a lot of movement room, and then 4,000 uh, strength. And we are just grow, growing really fast. And we work with, you know, if you're following this podcast, we work with some good athletes at, here out of Pocatello, um, some notable athletes in town. And uh, we've had an opportunity to just kind of grow and, and uh, start to work with our local youth. Um, so, yeah. All right. Sweet. And sorry for, uh, that wrong information there. I realize uh, there that you just moved into a new location. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah, yeah no yeah. worries. So, yeah. Sorry about that. So anyway, um, you know, something that caught my attention really recently were some posts that you made and we'll call it calling out traditional way that, uh, that coaches are conditioning athletes. Um, I think you've been talking about soccer and some other sports. When did you realize that there was a better way to develop athletes um so i've been coaching for about 10 years so i've had i've had some experience working uh, at the collegiate level um utah state university university of utah um uh, our other coach went to weber and, and helped out in the weight room there we've helped here locally at isu and we've just kind of got a broad experience of working with athletes seeing how athletes are being developed what's going on at the higher levels what's going on with the lower levels and um yeah, I, w- I would say like the approach, just the to name a way that we look at things is it's called the said principle. So if somebody's into sports or coach, this can apply to anything, but you're looking for a, a specific adaptation to an imposed demand. So uh, kind of what happens, I feel like a lot of times is coaches just either do what they've done before. They don't do any research on it. Um, they just fall back to what they're experienced in or the way their old coach conditioned them or they Google something online. And there actually isn't a lot of thought put into, you know, this, this is why we're doing what we're doing. Um, when maybe like a sport coach would spend more time with answering those questions for like how they're coaching basketball or what they're running in basketball. But when it comes to the strength and conditioning side uh, or preparing the athletes physically, that's overlooked because it's not somewhere that they are really, really comfortable in or have experience in. So. All right. So, and then the basis for this talk obviously is, is basketball, but I'm going to ask you uh, some questions about some multi-purpose athletes and what you do with them as well. So um, what, what do you high school and middle school coaches get wrong when it comes to athletic development? What, uh, there's probably a long list, but what's, what's, what's it? Yeah. Top? Yeah. This is a really broad question. So <laughs> when you kick, kicking off with that, I was like, this could be a whole podcast itself, but uh, to, to simplify it, I think, one thing that has to be done for coaches or for this conversation to frame it correctly is we have to define athletic, right? What is athleticism? So in our, in our eyes, what we've defined athleticism as is the ability to move uh, seamlessly and effortlessly through space to complete known and novel tasks. So a known task would be, for example, in basketball, you're shooting, right? 
but your novel task would be reacting to a defender, making a move, and then going into the shot. Okay. So that's how we define athletic. Um, and I think there's two parts to that. Like, I think a basketball coach is limited to their ability to do that on the basketball court in terms of skill acquisition. So what you guys work on, shooting, dribbling, that's your known tasks. And then allowing players to play full speed and react. So that change direction, movement, reaction, real-time playing, and just playing basketball is kind of where they can develop those patterns and the ability to, to move comfortably through space. Um, and then the other side of that is going to be the strength and conditioning room and training these movements in, in ways that are applicable to how they're performed on the court. So specifically, you know, what position do we want the foot in? What kind of uh, intent do we have with this lift? How are we moving? Um, that's where you can start to look at, you know, strengthening up people that have some weaknesses or uh, developing the athlete as a whole, getting a base level of strength and giving them that platform to move well. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And that kind of leads into our next question as far as kind of hitting the weight room. And this is where I kind of struggle with and just, you know, want to want to develop more as a as a coach when I'm working with uh, with my basketball players. But for coach that is not familiar, that familiar with the weight room, where would you suggest they start in educating themselves so that they can really help and 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 uh, maximize what they're doing with their athletes? Yeah, I think the best place to start, honestly, would be researching local people that are professionals in the strength and conditioning area and then shadowing or spending time or hiring them would probably be the first uh, move in terms of learning and being able to get around some people in person. And then from there, looking at continuing education pieces, there's a couple different uh, companies that, that I like that put out some decent stuff on training uh, specifically youth athletes. Um, but I would say first and foremost would be getting in an environment where you can observe a professional doing that um, and coaching it and ask them questions and be involved with it. Um, that would be where I would start. Um, we work with quite a few teams in Southeastern Idaho actually remotely. So we write their training programs and assist them and teach their coaches like how we want the movement implemented and why. So the first and foremost would be that. Find somebody that knows and does well at it and then absorb from them and find out what direction they would take you in terms of like, if you like what they do, how they got to where they're at. Is there a question with these coaches that you're working with, especially remotely that is there a, a regular question that a lot of these coaches will ask you or? You um, no, honestly, once we kind of dive into it and kind of do the initial consult, like on their teams and stuff. It just becomes most of the time coaches are pretty uh, like very aware that they don't know very much about the weight room side. And they're just like doing either the kids are working out with the football team or they're just doing what they did in the past uh, as athletes. And then usually the conversations we get into are what you asked later uh, down the list is, you know, what's that, what's an actual efficient conditioning protocol for like, what can they do on the court to get their athletes ready? Um, but no, there's not like a lot of specific questions. A lot of these guys ask about like the actual weight room. A lot of them are just happy to offload that responsibility to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that. Um, so this is obviously kind of a downtime for a lot of basketball players. You know, obviously there's still some college players and NBA players and stuff like that, but for high school, they're pretty much done, or I guess in their, uh, not in their, uh, competing season. Uh, maybe some AAU here and there, but what should players be focusing on at this point, uh, at this point while they're not playing competitively as much? Yeah. And, and real quick to kind of, this question is tough too, because 
Honestly, I would say, so we have a lot of basketball kids here and I would say a majority of them, even if they're not top level are continuing to play basketball right now. Mm-hmm. And some of them are in like either local little uh, competitive teams or like Isaiah Harwell or Julian that's traveling literally, you know, almost every weekend flying and playing more. They're playing more basketball now. Like a high school season is an offload for them, which sounds crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, that's, that's the culture right now. Like kids are playing year round. Kids are playing basketball while they're playing another sport. Like they're, they're not like stopping basketball. They're continuing to play. So our approach with them has to be a little bit different just because they're so overloaded all the time. But I'd say like our younger athletes that let's say they do have a break. So let's just frame this question as right now they are done with basketball. I would say uh, the biggest thing at first would be getting healthy from the season you just finished. So spending time in the weight room, probably slowing down on actual full speed basketball. You could probably still go and get your shots in, work on dribbling skills. But I would take a break from um, playing full speed basketball for a while and start moving in different planes of motion, getting in, uh, working with a strength conditioning coach, working on running mechanics, working on acceleration mechanics. And uh, I would say lowering the volume of overall movement right now as you just got off the season, letting yourself recover and starting to build up some of those other aspects that are going to help you be a better basketball player next year. If that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. So um, on the other hand, you know, like we're coming off, uh, at least with my program, we're coming off kind of that rest period where we just gave the kids that aren't doing a spring sport some time off. And now we're starting to slowly ramp up and then we've got a busy June. Um, So, you know, as I'm starting to get those kids into the gym and starting to think about conditioning and stuff like that, um, what should be kind of the focus of those workouts as I'm developing um, those uh, athletes to get ready for a summer season? Yeah, on the court. Yeah. Um, so I think sometimes a lot of times mistake a lot of coaches make is they try to have their athletes in the best shape by the beginning of the season, which doesn't allow for a lot of longevity and peaking at the end of the season. You'll see a lot of teams run down, a lot of minute injuries, shin splints, painful knees, all kinds of stuff. So I would say as a coach, the hardest part would be getting comfortable with letting your kids be a little bit out of shape coming into a season, right? Because again and again, I've seen this all the time. You no matter how much you gas or your kids, no matter how much you run them uh, in a format that's not applicable to basketball, as soon as they show up on that court for the first game, they're going to be winded. Like playing a basketball game is, is different modalities. You have adrenaline, you have emotions, you have all kinds of different things that play into it. Um, like you're not really actually going to be able to get your kids in shape to play basketball other than playing basketball, in my opinion. Right. So running, if you're, you are going to run gassers, you are going to run, I would, I would challenge people to look at, okay, observe a game and see, okay, how are these efforts played out? Are there three usually tough possessions and the pace of game slows down and they get more resting and walking and then they run again. So again, I think implementing drills on the court that are, allowing kids to not only continue to develop that athleticism of reacting to other players and being a part of playing basketball, that's how I would make my conditioning pieces. So if it was a drill where, okay, we're going to run three hard possessions and then throw another group, we're going to go three on three for three possessions, throw another group on, throw another group on, give them a break. Cause a lot of times you see in basketball, the, the pace of the game will speed up really fast and then it'll slow down. It'll speed up really fast and slow down. And they'll spend periods where, they are walking and jogging more than they're sprinting, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of look at that and, and give the kids the conditioning, like that kind of flow feeling. 
um, and, and allow them to have it be live rather than just like mindlessly running because they don't do a lot of mindless running in basketball. Right. Yeah. So um, I was kind of for myself trying to put this into context with like a year round um, development plan. And so here, you know, um, how do these activities fit into um, a year round uh, athletic development for a player who might not be playing other, other sports? Okay. Yeah. If you're not playing other sports um, activities as in the strength conditioning side or. or Yeah. 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 So I I'm, I'm biased, but I mean, we keep our athletes in here year round in season, out of season. Uh, every day. So, I mean, you look at collegiate programs, you look at professional programs, uh, they are training all year round, uh, all the time. Right. So what that allows us to do is work on things that, so basketball now with every sport, you see a lot of the same movement patterns, right. And a lot of the same type of loading. And that's why you get overuse injuries is because the demands of the sport require uh, very similar movement all the time mm-hmm. and they're not getting into different movement. That's, that was the old argument for playing multiple sports is you stop one sport and then you go and play a different sport where the demands are different for the sport. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you are just playing basketball or you're specializing in the sport, it's even more imperative that you are attending stre- a strength and conditioning opportunity, probably two to three times a week throughout the remainder of, of the year, really, in my opinion. And even in season, I mean, we, we kept most of our basketball kids in season this year, uh, notably like Bruin, Bruin Fleshman, Nash Harding, Isaiah Harwell, Julian Bowie, um, Kessler Vaughn, a lot of these kids. And they were able to make it through the season uh, a lot healthier than the previous seasons and not have a lot of injuries and were very in shape at the end of the year. Um, highly, I believe, highly because they were continuing to come in here and move in different ways outside of basketball rather than just going and playing basketball and then sitting down, playing basketball, sitting down. So I think it's important that an athlete continues to develop strength, A, but B, uh, different patterns. So we, we move in the frontal, sagittal, we, we lunge, we step up, we do all kinds of different stuff in here uh, that you don't really see on the court and it's not loaded up. So everything's that body weight, right? So that would be my recommendation would be, I think this fits in all the time. Uh, as, as long as it's done well, right. We work with yeah. the coaches. We make sure we're peaking them at the right time. Obviously summer ball is not as important as regular season. So, uh, you know, we're going to train harder during summer season and I would recommend our coaches back off on conditioning and just kind of let the kids play and make it more fun mm-hmm. because it's not really, I mean, it doesn't really matter as much, right. As, as your school season. So, um, that's how I would kind of approach uh, the summer season, and then we peak them. Volume goes down a ton in season. It's more recovery work, stretching, uh, maintaining elasticity, uh, mobility, that type of stuff. And then season gets over, they have a period of rebound, and then we'll get after it hard in the summer. So that's kind of our opportunity with basketball kids to train the hardest is in the summer. So I guess one of the things that you're that I'm getting is that uh, as a coach, you need to know what your athletes are doing, like you and probably need to uh, construct yeah. stuff that's different uh, based on the kids that are uh, doing other sports versus the kids that are playing basketball yeah. here. That's what's hard is so we end up like, that's what's hard and that we spend a ton of time and we are very involved with all of our kids lives knowing like who's playing multiple sports, who's not where they're training at when they're not with us, how often they're practicing, how many hours they're practicing a week. Like, I think as coaches, we need to be dialed in on that because we have to understand the demands that, that the athletes are going through. Um, Cause a lot of times people don't realize, but 
Like I'll have middle school, high school athletes that come in here for 45 minutes in the morning. They have a, a soccer practice for two hours and then they go and do a softball practice. And I'm like, this kid is literally going to school has four hours of practice and is training. Like they're doing more than a professional athlete is doing. Yeah. So odds are they're under recovered. Uh, they're not eating enough. And there's, those are conversations that should probably be had uh, by a basketball coach with their basketball team, getting to bed on time, eating enough food. And then the coach being aware that maybe they're not, maybe they're not being lazy. Maybe they're not performing because you're not working hard enough. They're not performing because they're under recovered. So you need to give those kids a little bit of a break on the running. You need to encourage, give them a little less practice time. Like it might just be that they're under recovered has nothing to do with like, Oh, they're just not trying hard enough or I didn't do the right stuff. So you might be feel like you're pigeonholing to, Oh, we need to go harder. They're not in shape. They're not, they're not performing like I want to, they're not making shots. We need to shoot more. Really. They might need to sleep two more hours a night. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. So I guess another component that I'm thinking of is that you need to have is something that educates parents, right? That like lets 100%. them know what, what you're doing with your, you know, you're, you're killing your kid right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's tough. I mean, I, I'm not a parent yet, but I watch it every day. I mean, parents feel the need to keep up with everybody else. If uh, my kid wants to play college sport, I got to go to every tournament. I got to do every sport. I got to keep doing every season when I think really people need to take a deep breath and sit back on that and realize, you know, odds are if they're good enough, they're going to be found and be until junior, senior season. Like kids really aren't looking at, like you might have an eighth grader getting looked at because they're like a generational talent like Isaiah. But I mean, in terms of most kids, you're not going to really get looked at or even cared about until your junior, senior year. Right. So for the, for you to go to every tournament as an eighth grader and play every game you can and make these kids play a year round, you would probably be better off playing less, you know, and sure skill acquisition all year round. If you're a basketball guy, you know, you're a basketball guy, go shoot at the gym every day. That's fine. But don't go play full speed, pick up. Don't, don't play every day. Don't play games every weekend. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So yeah. I think that's an easy hole to get sucked into when that's one of a lot of things in life where you feel like, well, I want to give my kid every opportunity I can, but what you actually do is you overload them. Um, and I mean, we see kids, I mean, we do a good job in here, but I mean, there's a lot of kids that get injured early, get burnt out early, show up to college, decide they don't want to play the sport anymore because it's just too much. Uh, you'll see there's a lot of college coaches that talk about kids are kind of losing the love for the game because they're playing it so much. Okay. And it's so serious so early. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Uh, that's something that, you know, we try to uh, remain cognizant of is not to overload these kids, you know, and yeah. as a coach. Yeah, I want to go all the time, but I have to, you know, remind myself, no, this this month long stretch is actually probably pretty good for him. Yeah. Um, so say I want to focus on speed development of my players. Uh, one of the things I've got some kids that are interested in playing college basketball. I also know for us to compete at a state level and get that title, we need to be a little bit faster. So where do I kind of start with that? Yeah, so that that. We'll keep it like surface level in terms yeah. of we don't get into like actual programming. But uh, when you look at basketball as a sport, right, uh, it lives and breathes in acceleration and change direction. So deceleration, acceleration, uh, three to five steps. So you're never really seeing an athlete open it up all the way, get into top end speed. So you're not going to train them like a track athlete. Most of the work's going to be spent working on uh, explosiveness, being able to take three steps hard and then decelerate efficiently and potentially change directions. Okay. So that's, that's where your work should be. So 
Like if I was a basketball coach, I'd probably bring my kids every day, do a dynamic warm up, get into some uh, pre sprint stuff, which we can talk about a little bit because I think it's important that coaches kind of start looking into this, but get into some prep stuff and then do some drill, have some bands, get the program, some bands, do some band accelerated sprints, uh, work on three, three step, five step starts uh, from different positions, like a defensive position, maybe a lateral, um, just mixing up the way that they're, their static start position and uh, working on those first, like I said, two to three steps, because that's where basketball lives and breathes. There's not a full speed running going on. Okay. So your best kids, your quickest kids are the one that can accelerate efficiently for two steps and then quickly stop. That's what basketball speed is, right? It's different than track speed. It's a little different than football, although football lives and breathes in that as well. Um, so yeah, that's what I'd focus on is acceleration mechanics. So you can just look that up, look into some drills for that. Um, and then deceleration, right? Because that's the ability to stop. And then that, that, those two, those two principles are what change direction is being able to stop and go quickly and then reversing that moving through different planes of motion, opening the hips up, that type of thing. Is there some uh, tips that you would have as far as uh, for coaches looking at deceleration and what they can kind of be looking at to, to make sure that uh, the kids are doing it uh, correctly? Oh, for deceleration. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, that's a good question because a lot of actual injury occurs in deceleration. So landing from a jump, going to change directions. Like if you have people hurting ankles, knees, odds are they're underdeveloped in, in being able to stop a load quickly. Right. So obviously you're going to be looking for uh, basic mechanics of the foot. So toes forward, knee over toe. Um, you'll see a lot of times kids will point their toes out. They probably have tight ankles, um, whatnot. They'll point their toes out knee to the inset of their foot, which is called valgus. That's how a kid tears his ACL. Mm -hmm. um, so you'll be wanting to looking for, you know, toes forward, knees over toes, hips back. So be, the ability to, when they go to stop, drop their hips down, uh, sit down into a position that will allow them to stop quickly, um, getting more, a little more posterior chain dominant, which is that backside. Um, so those are kind of the simple things you'll look for is foot position, knee position relevant to the foot, and then their ability to kind of uh, use their posterior chain to absorb and then change direction. All right. And then let's talk a little bit about change of uh, direction. All right. What are some things, yeah. uh, some tips that you might have for a coach to look at there, or maybe some, uh, some, some activities that uh, would help uh, kids uh, uh, develop that more. Yeah, for sure. So I think what we just talked about is going to be the two principles of it. So acceleration, deceleration, and then the best change of direction drills are always where they're reacting in my opinion, because going through stage drills is cool. Um, it'll it, at the beginning, maybe to teach some principles on like opening, uh, like a drop step or an open step or how to begin a movement. Sure. But until they're doing it full speed and reacting to somebody, there's not ever going to be the intent like there is when you play a sport. So I would turn pretty much every change direction drill, almost every change direction drill we do in here. There's some sort of chaser and leader, mm -hmm. um, and there it's a game type of setting, right? A lot of these kids aren't out playing tag like I was when I was little or doing night games or like we kind of already got a lot of that uh, when I was little because we'd go and play and just chase each other and do that stuff. Um, so we just make them into honestly the best work we get in here and the most intent and drive from the kids is always when it's in game format. So creating some sort of game format on a basketball court, you could put them around a ring of balls or cones in the middle and then put you know a towel on each person's butt and say, you know, last person with the towel wins, everybody has to pull it. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. making a move um, in, in relation to another person's action. 
is probably the best way to get change direction work and naturally just see how the kids move and, and get all sorts of variation within that drill, right? Because they'll move differently based on how they are reacted to and they don't think about it. They just do it. I was kind of, I was talking to a coach and telling him I was going to be talking to you. And one of the things he was saying was like, Oh, you know, Hey, how, how do you get kids to like work hard in these kinds of kinds of situations? And yeah. I was just going to ask, you know, uh, especially with these ideas of like tag and stuff like that, do you find that that um, engages the kids a little bit more? Yeah, hundred percent. Like when we do our, so we, yeah, that kind of stuff, testing stuff, giving them metrics, a winning or losing situation. That's why I said like your conditioning, you're going to get more out of like doing a, okay, we're doing three on three and a three possession drill or a two possession drill and there's a winner, right? That's always going to cause more effort than just saying, okay, we're going to run gassers, right? Kids are going to game that. So um, yeah, whenever we do sprints in here, we have laser timers. And when we set those laser timers up, like kids are running way faster than they are without them. Right. When we play games, people. Yeah, I would say whenever there's a winner, a loser and an objective, you're going to typically get a human to perform harder than if it's just like running through the motions or just conditioning to condition or whatnot. Right. Because they're just going to mentally uh, kind of prepare for that. So if I know I'm running 20 gassers, you bet your butt I'm not running hard the first 10, first 15, because I'll be dead. You know, so it's like the, they have to be smart and game plan this in their head um and they don't have as much drive to win really like you'll get a kid or two that's like just kind of that type of athlete that wants to get as good as they can and they'll do whatever they can but i would say you have you know 70 percent of them that unless it's in like a winning losing format they're not going to give their full effort all right uh another kind of question i have for you is that uh i was fortunate i got to go to the uh ncaa uh women's uh sweet 16 and elite eight uh games this last weekend and watched uh stanford play and in their layup lines they've got two girls that uh that uh that dunk regularly and i've got a girl that like that is her goal she's a sophomore she's a volleyball player she's she can already jump and then one of the things that she's always doing during basketball practice is seeing how close she can get to that rim so what are some things that I can do as a coach to kind of help her out and achieving or helping her try to achieve that goal of at least touching the rim. Yeah. So what I would do first with that athlete, like ideally, if you were like, okay, I have a girl that wants to do this. Um, you, you test her, see what she's at, see what her vertical is at, see what her baseline numbers are. We have some other testing stuff where I could actually take her through some jumping tests and see, okay, where is she good? And where is she bad? Mm -hmm. um, we have two, let's just use two of our athletes, for example, uh, Bruin, Bruin, you know who he is probably. He is a really good two leg jumper. I call him. He's so we have cheetahs and gorillas is what I call him. Okay. He's very strong. He can jump well off two feet, um, but he's not as dynamic. So Isaiah can't jump as high as Bruin off two feet, but Isaiah can jump off one leg because he's very efficient at absorbing a load through one leg and reversing that. So he's more elastic and Bruin is just more strong. Okay. So they get two different results. Like Bruin walks up to the rim, jumps off two feet dunks over a kid, Isaiah jumps from almost the free line, free foot, like the free throw line with one leg and dunks, right? So there's two different ways to get there. Uh, I would see where she is at naturally. If she's like someone that uh, is more powerful, but not very elastic, like she dips down really low, takes a really long time to jump up in the air, but she goes high. Or if she's a very quick dip and bounces off the ground quickly. Um, and then from there, you can look at the training her in two different, in different ways. So if she's strong and she takes a long time to jump, but she goes high, we're going to work more on elastic stuff. 
So moving quickly in our lifts, like a lighter load in the lift, moving fast, plyometric work, uh, strengthening the ankle, strengthening the lower leg. If she's somebody that's already like that, that's already bouncing quickly, but she can't go as high off two legs, and that's more of a power thing. So then we're going to work on getting her stronger, getting her uh, yeah just stronger through positions, and then she'll be able to use that ability better and be able to jump higher, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. No, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. I really appreciate your time. I got a few more questions for you. Um, oh, yeah. And so uh, this next question has to do not with uh, now, but like during the season, and you kind of alluded to this, but uh, let's get this in one specific spot here. What's the approach you would suggest when it comes to conditioning during the season for uh, basketball coaches? Yeah, I would make it objective games. And I would also uh, challenge coaches to not pressure themselves to have their athletes feel like, like their your athletes don't need to be in their best shape the first game. Okay. So let them go into the season where you're a little uncomfortable. They're out of shape. Okay. Because playing all those games throughout the season, then they're going to peak at the end of the year, which is what you want. Right. So they're going to, they're going to get in basketball shape by playing full speed basketball against other teams they are not used to. Okay. So entering that season, a little uncomfortable with where they're at. I'd probably make my conditioning in practice drills. So I'd make them. So I'm, so I'm not wasting my time just running gassers. I'm getting work in, I'm getting conditioning in, and I'm also working on basketball. I'm working on basketball. They're getting opportunities to shoot. They're getting opportunities to react to other players. They're getting opportunities to play defense. Like all of those things that if you just run gassers, you're just spending 20 minutes not preparing your athletes for basketball, right? You're just running them to run them. So that, that's what I would do. If I was a basketball coach, it'd be probably all game oriented. I would go into the season uh, probably feeling like they're a little bit out of shape. And then by the end of the year, they, they would be probably in better shape in terms of, uh, A, they can play a full game basketball. B, they don't have a bunch of small nagging injuries that are causing athletes to not be able to play at their full potential. Okay, so that, that would be the direction I would take it with that. Um, and I would make sure every day when I got them in the gym, I continued to work on uh, what well, I just call them mini collisions because so, basketball is full of jumping, sprinting, running, right? So I'd get them in, I'd go through a typical like sprinting type of prep work, hip opener, and then I'd get some different movements in. Like an example is pogos. You can look up pogos, uh, single leg jumping just on like a smaller scale and get a lot of warm up reps in of actually uh, using that lower leg and the ankle. Um, that's what we do in here every day when the athletes come in, um, because you need to keep that lower leg in shape throughout the season for the athletes and also in the off season. Um, that's been a huge us implementing that over the last two years when we started doing more like sprint prep stuff and training the lower leg and the foot more uh, intently. Uh, we've had way less injuries. Like I would like it's it's unreal. So a lot of times that's overlooked. People get strong. Uh, they don't continue to train the lower leg and then they go and they're too powerful for what they can control with their body. And then they end up getting hurt. Okay. So keeping up the conditioning of the foot and the ankle and the lower leg would be huge. So I would go through a whole sprint prep. I think a lot of times, like I look back to when I played and I'm sure if I went and observed the practice, a lot of coaches, they just come out of the locker room. They kind of jog around a little bit, do some layups. And then you're, you're off to playing basketball or doing drills. Right. So I would spend a little bit, I'd spend 10 to 15 minutes on like an actual really uh, thought through warm up for my team and make them go through that, assign leaders, create some leadership on the team, uh, spend time, like kind of how football comes out and they do their, they'll do their stretches and their work and stuff like that led by the other team, by their, one of their teammates. 
that's what I would do. So I'd, I'd get them working on that mobility. Like I wouldn't just rely, like for us, a lot of people, a lot of coaches in town, they hire us and rely on us for that. That's great. Uh, that's why we do that. Um, but if you're not going to hire someone, you need to be doing that mobility and prep work before mm -hmm. practice. And even after like rolling out, it's not very expensive to go get a bunch of rollers for your basketball team. Uh, just spending the time on that little stuff that's overlooked. That's, that's where kids, I think, make it through the season and perform better is when they're better recovered and better prepared. All right. So one of the things that you have brought up and one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is because you work with uh, teams uh, there locally and then you've got uh, uh, coaches that you work with remotely. So can you take me through the process of what you provide a team uh, there at yeah. Hanson Athletics? Yeah. So um, for our on-site team, so like, for example, we did Pocatel, Pokey High basketball all summer. Uh, they came in on-site. And then we still train a lot of their athletes individually. But what we do is we provide like a team rate offering on site for teams that are local. So like what Blackfoot basketball drive here, uh, Pokey basketball, Century basketball, uh, had a couple of half the kids from Highland basketball. So we'll provide that on site training for the summer. So basically the coaches can be pretty hands off with, OK, strength conditioning is handled. I can focus on basketball um, during that time. And that's our on site providing. And then. For example, we work with uh, Thunder Ridge Volleyball, Twin Falls Volleyball, Fruitland. We're working with their team um, and just some other teams, Blackfoot Volleyball. And we write their training programs and we have an app online. It's got demonstration videos. It's got instructions for every movement. Every kid on the team has the app and has access to it. And it tracks all their numbers and their progress throughout it. There's a team feed where they can ask questions, um, all of that. So we have a very intuitive app on a phone that gives the athletes and the coaches access to the workouts and to us as coaches. And then we bring, we either visit the coach's site in person and run the kids through a workout and then spend a couple additional hours with the coaches, teaching them how we want the movements done, the intent behind them, what we're looking for out of the adaptations for this, this what we're doing. Um, and because there's very specific nuances in what we write that we will have to make sure that they understand if they're not coming in on site. Um, because it's really, it doesn't matter what the program is. It's all about the implementation. So I could, I could send you the program right now. And if you run it at your facility and I run it here and I do it with a bunch of intent and you just give it to the kids and let them do whatever, I, I, the results are going to be vastly different. Right. So we teach, we train the coaches. We are always there for the coaches in terms of they can shoot us questions at any time. We can meet at any time. We can talk through different stuff with different athletes. Like, we basically become just kind of like a provider and a consultant for the coach in the strength and conditioning side of what they do. And that's what our offsite looks like when we are helping people on the line for teams. Um, that's what that looks like. And then like locally, we do a hybrid, like people will come in during the summer, but then we still wrote workouts for the team to do like Blackfoot basketball. We wrote their workouts in season that they continue to do at their gym in Blackfoot. So Okay, great. And then uh, final question, uh, how can people or coaches that are interested in this uh, find out more information about Hanson Athletics? Oh, heck yeah. So they can just look up Hanson Athletics anywhere. Like just yeah. Google it. <laughs> uh, we got, we have, I mean, we got, you know, everything. Twitter, we have a pretty good big Instagram. You can find, we put a ton of information on Instagram in terms of drills, stuff we're looking for. It's all pretty much educational stuff. So follow that. Uh, we have a podcast, we have a blog. We have a website. Uh, yeah, just 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 look up Hanson Athletics. We got a pretty good spread on the internet, so 
you'll find us and you'll find a way to get in contact with us pretty quickly. Um, and we're open, uh, like I said, I, I'll say some stuff on Twitter that's frustrating, but we're always here to help. Like, I'm, mm. like if a coach want, like they don't have to hire us if they just want to have a conversation about it and we can point them in a little bit of a better direction. Like I'm open to talking to any coach in the state that wants to like, just have a conversation about maybe where they could, you know, get a little bit better in what they're doing. So, All right. And then just to be clear, you're not just focused on Idaho. You'll take uh, teams from. Yeah. I mean, we work with people. Yeah. I work with people around the U S and some people internationally. And um, yeah, we've, we've found ways to work. We work with people all over the world. So we have effective ways to, to work with anyone that, you know, listens to this and is interested in getting a little bit of influence from us. So. All right. Well, coach, uh, I really appreciate your time. It's been uh, fun to meet you. And uh, yeah, I've learned learned a lot. And thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thanks for inviting us to be on. We Yeah, we love any opportunity we have to try to help or, you know, be seen. So thank you. Thanks for listening to the Idaho Basketball Coaching Podcast. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email me at idahobasketballcoachingpodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.